Greetings and salutations. Welcome one and all. You are listening to Culture Bop Selects, the official pop culture and media discussion podcast of Culture Bop. We've got a great episode for you today. This is episode seven and I am your host, the one and only Bebop man, Josh McMullen. And I am joined today, not by my normal co-host for this podcast, the one and only Gil Beasy, but instead... I am joined by a very special guest, Mr. Mario himself, Justin Ruiz. How are you doing today, sir? I am good. It's a very cold Saturday morning here, but I am thriving, and I can't wait to talk about this um, extremely French video game. <laughs> uh, it is quite French. Uh, how, how cold is it today up there? Let me double check here. It is <coughs> a brisk thirty-seven today. Oh, this you're morning. fine. You're you're being a little baby. It's no, not really. But <laughs> um, thirty-eight right now. Highs of forty-one by two. Lows of thirty-seven tonight. Yeah, it's um. Oh, man, that's that's baby talk. I love that kind of uh, stuff. I'll say this: when you're used to like. Two weeks of oh yeah, that's fair. At a high and seventy three at a low. Is coming back to this was rough. So I I actually have a question about that. Is um, because I for whatever reason don't know this. Is Hawaii the same way Australia is in terms of like it's it's on the southern hemisphere? So like they're winter is in like our summer that's a great question i'm really glad you asked that i have no idea what the answer no, um, <laughs> so they it's funny because we were on maui for two weeks and we didn't go anywhere else but maui in particular is very it's like an anomaly it has they say it has five microclimates mm. so you have like a very, very hot, like almost like desertish heat um, in parts of the island. <clears throat> but then there's a giant mountain there. So you get like a real, you get like heavy rain. You get um, really, really cool winds, but you get like offshore breezes. Uh, where we were on the island, um, <clears throat> it barely rained. It rained like two days. And rain for them is like an hour and a half, and then it just passes by. Mm. But they had said that we came during what is known as the rainy season. So I think it's like, um, I want to say it was like September to January is the rainy season, and then the rest is just more like the regular season. But it never, the weather never goes below like 70, like ever. It's always between like 75 and 85 and in some places it gets up to like 100 but it's just it's like always perfect <laughs> the weather is just always perfect so there's there's a reason why people call it paradise but um yeah like the days that it rained where the clouds would come over and you just see like these giant dark rain clouds it really it only lasted like an hour and then you'd go back out and be like, all right, I guess I'm going to head down to the beach or head to the pool or whatever it is. But it's really 
it's it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait to go. We're um we're actually <clears throat> potentially not going to Hawaii in March. Uh, we may be making a change of plans for like a um a bigger sort of family trip uh in the summer. Uh, we'll see. Uh, but we're we've also like we just got back from Chicago uh, like two ish weeks ago, um, and then we decided that we were going to go to uh, the Packers game for Christmas. So that's that's tapping into a lot of the budget that we had set aside for Hawaii. So um, I mean, Green Bay is the Hawaii of the Midwest. Everybody knows I, that. Everybody knows that, right? <laughs> Uh, so yeah, but I, I still can't wait. Kayla went, um, the first year we started dating, she went in like November of that year for uh, a big convention, uh, cause she was like a gigantic supernatural fan. Um, and they were having one in Hawaii. She went there and stayed there for like 10 days or something. Um, and just loved it. And yeah. I, I really have always wanted to go, so there was there was actually I I got like so not angry but I was just like so completely confused but there was there was a group of people at our hotel that all worked for the same company and and we were like what like why do we keep seeing this logo everywhere and then we realized this was like their company retreat for like uh-huh. the executive team and I was like I guess for people in San Francisco, like Hawaii's not that far. Mm-hmm. So they may as well just be like, I guess we're going to Hawaii for, you know, the week to do like a, a corporate retreat. And then, and then later on in our vacation, in our honeymoon, there was um, a medical conference at our, co- at our, at our hotel too. So like there was just a bunch of doctors everywhere. Oh, wow. <laughs> and it was just, I, I was like, I, I again I like I shook my head I was like why like why Hawaii for a conference like I get it but you have to stay inside and listen to like talks about like you know some new disease and not enjoy <laughs> all of like the splendors that Hawaii I don't know it was just very not a place where I'd want to do business yeah but, uh, I don't know I guess it works for some people but, um, well, yeah, uh, so you, you've already mentioned it, uh, and in case the episode title or the thumbnail hasn't given it away yet, uh, this week we're going to talk about 2019's A Plague Tale Innocence. Uh, now, I think I said on the very first episode that we were going to play with the rule of it had to be at least three years old, but, um, we were hoping to keep things at least five or more. <coughs> well, we're breaking that rule this week. Uh, but it's for good reason. So the sequel is scheduled for next year. Um, and this was actually just released as a remastered, uh, kind of, they got a remastered version out earlier this year for PS five and series X slash S. Um, so we wanted to dig in, uh, while we could. So, uh, with that said, I think, we should go ahead and we'll get into the <clears throat> sort of kind of like backstory of the game um, and uh, and go from there. So I did a little bit of digging. Uh, this was created by Asobo Studio, Asobo Studio which is a 
uh, French developer. Um, so they, before this game, only had one other, like, completely new, unestablished IP to their name, which was 2009's Fuel, uh, a game that I actually remember on the uh, PS3. Um, but they were very much uh, a studio that worked on stuff like for Disney and... Um, uh, <clears throat> oh my a lot God. of licensed well, titles. Yeah, yeah, a lot of licensed titles. Uh, so they had, you know, stuff like uh, Wally, Ratatouille, Garfield. Um, they had a bunch of uh, big licensed titles games. Uh, and weirdly enough, um, this was their first one. Um, and actually, technically, I think it's their only one uh, up until Requiem comes out next year uh, besides Fuel. So that'll be uh, interesting to see. But they also did a lot of work for the um, Xbox Series S and X uh, port of Microsoft's Flight Simulator. And I right. think we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit later. But their chops for making environments <clears throat> is just stunning. Yeah, I, that's a good point. <laughs> I, I, I don't know how these people uh, do this stuff, but um, so it yeah, like there's a sort of je ne sais quoi. <clears throat> y- yes, uh, <clears throat> Mister Frenchman. I thought you were Italian. Uh, half Italian. Oh, okay. But okay. I half. studied all the French classicisms. No, um, <laughs> I, I, I personally think this is a really really cool setting for a video game but um that's kind of why i got attached to it but we'll we'll get more into that later yeah yeah um so uh from what i could tell from reading some of the interviews that were attached to like the wikipedia article uh basically what they had set out to do was to create a story in a similar kind of style to The Last of Us and uh, Brothers, A Tale of Two Sons. And from there, they just kind of picked um, kind of like their setting, and they wanted to set it in uh, like sort of like feudal uh, France some sometime during like the Thousand Year War. Or, is that right? Hundred Year War. Hundred Year War. That's what, yeah. Um, and so from there, they just kind of built it out uh, using, you know, different like aspects that they had um, kind of gathered from that time period and kind of blended it in with like the stuff from uh, obviously the Black Death. That's a, a, a huge, you know, um, th- uh, not thematic element, but like a, a huge element to what the, the story is set around. Um, right. So they were picked up by the publisher Focus Home Interactive, and the game was originally revealed in 2017, and it was only titled The Plague. Um, And then they kind of went quiet for a little while, and it was finally released on May 14th, 2019 on the PS4, Xbox One, and PC, and was released, like I said earlier, on the PS5, uh, the Series X slash S, and the Nintendo Switch as like a cloud version earlier this year so 
Um, <clears throat> so with that all of the way, I want to immediately jump into the game design because I think that that is where we'll probably get the most, uh, I think, differing opinions um, in, in terms of, uh, I, I think we both like the story a lot. Um, so I think we'll probably get them. Well, maybe, uh, but let's talk about the game mechanics. So, sure. uh, for all intents and purposes, this is a sort of stealth action survival sort of game. Um, with very, very light crafting elements to it. <laughs> yeah. Very, very light crafting. Uh, the first thing I wanted to probably ask <clears throat> is, did you think that the mechanics added to the storytelling of the game in any sort of meaningful way? I think it did. I, I do because this is th this is a game about occupation, right? It's it's a war, mm -hmm. and these are children that are running through the countryside of France. They're not classically trained warriors. One's a five-year-old, and, and Amicia's a teenager. You know, she the only training she really has to defend herself is a sling, which, you know, against a full suit of armor is pretty, not, not useless, but it's going to take a while to bring somebody down. So the idea of running from town to town or from forest to forest or farm to farm, it does, I, I think it does a good job of explaining like what what the situation is you're trying to escort your brother through this the the entirety of france almost to get away from the occupation of the english so i think it does i think it does a really great job of explaining that and showing you that this is this is a very high high tense very dangerous situation there's a lot of hazards everywhere so you have to tread lightly you have to be very very careful where you go and there's there's numerous ways to go you don't have to just take one path there's sort of a linearity to the the levels mm -hmm. where you you know you basically have to get from one side to the other side but there are a number of different ways to get from said side to side um even in the beginning i know i noted in like the first few chapters you know, you could go through some of the empty farmhouses or like um, basically like sheds and run through, grab a grab a pot and throw it, distract a guard. Or you can try and uh, skirmish through like the field, right, and duck under the, the tall wheat and go that way. So there's a number of different ways to get through there. But, you know, like I said before, they're, they're children. They're being hunted by the English. And they're trying to hide, they're trying to escape, and they're trying to come up with a way to not only save, or not, or not only save themselves, but in a lot of sense in the beginning of the game, find out what, what's wrong with Hugo. You know, why, why is he, why are they chasing us, or why are they chasing Amicia and Hugo because of Hugo? Um, so I do think it, it adds into, like, it, it adds a meaningfulness, or it adds a weight to the game, um, or at least the storytelling of the game. I will say this, um, I think the opening menu adds to the overall theme of the game because it is a horrifying sight to just see a darkened room with about like a million rats just skirmishing around <laughs> yeah. everywhere. Yeah. That menu is like, 
if you didn't get the sense of what that game is about, that opening menu kind of explains a lot. But yeah, it totally sets the tone. Uh, I agree. Um, yeah, I I think I agree with you. Uh, I really think this actually. I know uh, you know. I said it when we were talking about what they said that they wanted to accomplish with the game. Uh, but it very much feels like a, uh, you know, like a take on the last of us, uh, in, in many ways. I think that what really makes that game super unique versus something like say uncharted, uh, is that it really relies on the, the narrative beats alongside this stealth action gameplay where if you get caught you have to go into the action but the main crux of what you're you're doing is those stealth mechanics and i feel like the the game uh in a plague tale <clears throat> really does go more into that as opposed to something like say um like a I'm trying to think maybe like a, a horizon zero dawn where I think with horizon, there is like a stealth element to it, but it is much more action oriented. I think personally. Um, yeah. And I, I do think that what you're saying is, is a hundred percent correct with the, with the idea that like these are kids and they're going up against gigantic adults in like, huge like plates of armor so there's not much of a chance that they're going to stand in like a toe-to-toe fight so right i mean this is this is one of these are two of it's the 14th century it's france and england these are probably two of the strongest armies maybe in the world (laughs) you know like it's they're they're forces to be reckoned with so yeah. for a, a 14 to 16 year old girl with a sling and a five year old, like you, you have to like run, you, you really have to run. So yeah, a hundred percent. Um, the, another thing that I wanted to bring up in, in terms of the, the mechanics was, um, the way that you deal with, I don't want to say the main antagonist because that's not really correct, but the, the main, um, I guess, uh, problem you have to solve is, is with the rats. Um, how did you feel about the the way that that in particular was handled? Yeah, so that's the other, <laughs> like, if one side of this is fighting the the human element, right? Like, I need to I need to duck and cover so that this soldier doesn't see me. The other aspect of this game is... I need to run as fast as I can because these rats are volcanoing out of the ground as quick as possible. (laughs) Um, Like (laughs) it's almost like the center of the earth is just plague rats and like the earth is like belching these things out. But um, the, the rats to me, if, if half of this game is stealth action, the other half is puzzle solving, right? Mm -hmm. The rats were the puzzle aspect and, and, I get that this is set in 14th century France. I get that the plague is going on, but the the rats, the rats serve two purpose for me. Two purposes for me, one being absolute dread, like absolute like oh I I have to run as fast as I can or I have to get away from this as fast as I can, 
And the other aspect was, okay, what, what elements around me can I use to help fend these things off? And, and that's in the beginning of the game. The later in the game, you're, you, you're more in tune to like, oh, I'm actually, this, this is a resource. But I, I think the rats were a great touch to showcase a lot of what the game had to offer setting-wise. I think it had a really great touch to, to offer when it was sort of this, like, how do we use fire? How do we mm-hmm. show off the the idea that there's a light in the darkness kind of thing, like that thematic, like, we are the light here. It doesn't matter how small this light is, but it, if it burns bright enough, we can we can sail past any kind of darkness there is. But th- the rats were very, in the beginning, very, I mean, scary, for, for lack of a better word, right? I mean, you, you see this you see this pop up and you see them come about and you, you really have no choice but to run away. You have no choice but to sort of sprint as fast as you can. Mm-hmm. But later on, you start to see like, okay, there's, it's, it's not about running per se. It's more about like, how do we funnel these things into a different area? How do we um, almost use them as like a control like you know, you're you're controlling the destination of the rats. I mean, in, in literal sense, in the back half of the game, you are controlling them. But even in the latter parts of the game, where like Amicia and some of the other um, children are are running through like old castles or whatever it is, you're you're knocking over lamps. You're 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 taking out lights. You're putting lights on. You're you're sort of creating these like choke points for for the rats and they they become less scary they just become more of a nuisance but i I think it i I think it helps serve the purpose of creating that sense of dread creating that sense of like urgency where you have to get away if it's not the english that's going to take you out it's going to be this force of nature that can't be explained so there's always there's always something that's looming but yeah, I, I think that's kind of the, the thought process I get with where the rats are. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, I'm right there with you. Um, <clears throat> I actually, I mean, you brought it up. I I do 100% think that that, um, that uh, not really opening scene, but the, uh, the scene in particular that I'm thinking of is uh, when Father, uh, what was his name, Thomas? Um, yeah, when Father yes. Thomas is attacked, that scene is legitimately horrifying um but yeah i i don't really have anything other than to say i think you nailed it on the head i do think that they add a little bit of uh like a puzzle element that uh if they weren't around the game would i i feel like almost be one note where it it is literally just a self game whereas this adds like a a little bit of a um uh, not necessarily a puzzle element, but it adds like another element to the gameplay uh, itself. Yeah, it's like another it's it's another layer of challenge, right? Yeah. Like, and and in some cases, again, like in the beginning, you're it's a lot of like run away from this, but mm-hmm. later on in the game, it it almost serves as like you can like let out a sigh of relief because you're just clouded in like light. 
versus, Mm -hmm. you know, having to constantly move or evade the gaze of like a, um, you know, a soldier or an archer or something like that. You can sort of, you can sort of take a breath, figure out what you have to do and then execute on it. You don't have to be sort of like running from point to point or, or figuring out too, too much of that. And you, you sort of get that sense even as, as early as some of the, the like chapter three or chapter four, when you meet some of the other characters in the game, like Laurentius and, and Lucas, like th- they even sort of understand like, Oh, like there, there are ways around this. We understand, or we know where to go. It's just, we have to figure out how to get around these rats. Right. And you, you again, you have that sort of reprieve because you're like bathed in fire, mm-hmm. but it is, I think it, I think it is good. I think one of the other things that I wanted to mention was the idea that this is 14th century France mm-hmm. and it's, it has a little, like, I guess the way you'd have to think about it is like it, it, it adds to sort of the, the overall setting and, and the overall feel of the game, but there's no medicine, right? Everything is, it's not medicine. There's no doctors. There are alchemists. And for 14th century France or, or pretty much anywhere around Europe, it's not seen as like a, um, as a means to heal people, but like this is science, right? Mm-hmm. And science back then in the eyes of like the state or even the eyes of the church, more of the church than anything, like it was seen as like heresy. So you have these people who are sort of working in secret as alchemists to figure out like, well, there's, there's more to, there's more to life than just blind faith. There are sulfurs, there are materials, there are things that we can use to help make our lives easier or save people. And you sort of get that sense because that's what the crafting element is. You're picking up sulfur, you're picking up leathers, you're picking up different kinds of um, powders and elements. And that's what's helping you craft these items that you can get through um, different mazes or, or, uh, take on bigger enemies. Like one, one item in particular will melt a helmet, (laughs) you know, that's a really interesting way of getting through some of these guards is by using the, like a combination of these sulfurs and this, this new thing called alchemy where you can, you know, get through a lot of this. I, I thought that was a clever way of, of, masking the crafting system even though the crafting system to me was very very light and very i think almost i I don't want to say superfluous but it i really don't think it wasn't that necessary i think you could have picked up a lot of items in the world that would have been you know better like I, i think about like zelda you don't have to craft a new wallet you just end up getting a bigger purse so you can hold more rupees. In this, you have to craft a bigger, you know, ba- basically bigger pockets or anything like that. Whereas, like, is it really necessary? Like, do I really need to stop at a bench and do this? Ah, uh, it's not my, like, it's not my favorite thing to do. Or if I missed certain things, I guess I wouldn't be able to. I also didn't like the fact that one of the things, or one of the upgrades that you can get was you no longer have to use a crafting bench or you no longer have to use a crafting tool to upgrade your, your pouches or anything like that. That to me is always one of those, like if one, if one of the elements of crafting is this will, this will eliminate crafting. Like 
I, all right, whatever. Like, I guess it's really like, I'll do it to make my, to make life easier for me, but like, give me something a little bit more palatable to use when I'm at this bench. Right. But that's, yeah, that's more of a, it's a very, very small complaint that I have about this game. Okay. Yeah. Um, I have to be a hundred percent honest with you. I very rarely used the, uh, stuff with the alchemy, um, with the, with the crafting. I, I used it when I had to, but this is one of the things in the game that like, um, it wasn't something that I necessarily engaged with all that much to be completely honest with you. Uh, just because I didn't feel like I had to, um, I, I, I do think I agree with you to the extent that I, I would personally say that it's superfluous. I, I don't know that this is necessarily needed in the game. Yeah. I, I just, it was very cute that they called it alchemy. You know, yeah. it was very, it was very cool that they had like a thematic aspect to it, but it really was very, um, surface level i would say like you really like are you really going through this game to 100 percent it or or you know get the platinum like i can understand scouring the earth looking for all these elements and tools but like i sailed through this game without really having to do too many upgrades you know to get like i'm gonna carry 20 rocks instead of 16 like you're not really running out of stones or anything that quickly so Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, the the next thing that I wanted to tackle uh, is, is the kind of level design. Uh, and I think we touched on this a little bit earlier when we were talking about having it set in France itself. Um, and I, I found the, the level design of this game to be uh, relatively linear. Um, but I do think that each level is is really unique. Each location you go to is very, very different. Um, and I think that that really added to the uh, the sort of spectacle of the game. Um, what did you think about the, uh, the sort of level design? Yeah, I, I mentioned it before. Like, they, they felt very, they felt very point A, point B. Mm-hmm. Right. There's, there's, there is an, there's a beginning of this level. There is an end of this level. Find your way to it. And in, in most cases, even going back to this game, like booting it up and jumping into some of these more very picturesque, picturesque settings, um, the game does a really good job of, of, I think, carting you to the path of least resistance. Whereas, like, if you want to venture off and find some of these other elements or some of the collectibles, you could. You totally could. Mm -hmm. But it does a very good job of sort of funneling you to what they, I think, what they think was the optimal path. And, yeah, there there are, you know, puzzles along the way, especially with with the parts with the rats. Like, there is no other option. It's it is solve this puzzle to get through this area, right? Because if you if you do venture off, you're dead. The the mm-hmm. rats will eat you. But when it comes to 
fighting or, or, or getting past the English, you, you have options and yeah. there are options there. You can, you can sort of sidestep certain areas or, or explore and do a little bit of like collectible finding, which I thought the collectibles were really cool too. Like they're, they're very reminiscent of like that time period. And then the, um, the fact that like Hugo was an aspiring five-year-old florist that just wanted to find every flower. Um, those were, those were pretty nice too, but, uh, at its core, I think the game is pretty linear. It's, it's very, I don't want to call it one note, but it's one path. Mm-hmm. It's very easy with one path. And I, I think back to, I think back to the level where you're escaping the fort where Hugo was captured. The, the, the two, Amicia and Hugo were both captured. Um, and Melly is guiding you through Every option that you pick when Melly's brother is going to cause a distraction, there's there's usually three options. Her her brother will execute on one of them that makes the most sense, whatever you pick. But if you pick the wrong options, Melly will even say, like, no, nah, that's not good. Or, no, don't. that's not going to cause enough noise. So it really, even in, in those areas... <laughs> will guide you to, okay, this is the most optimal point, and you're following this other girl through this um, in, encampment. So, in in a sense, there's a lot of linearity. The one thing I did like, though, was when you were in the cathedrals and when you were through, like, these towns, they they really executed on, like, the settings. The towns were very, like, labyrinthian, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, the streets didn't make sense, there were shops everywhere. There were homes everywhere. You're climbing in and out of windows and in and out of doors um, throughout all of these very small, like, picturesque French countryside towns. So, like, I think they did really nail a lot of that where if you do go to, like, even today, if you went to Europe and, and saw some of these towns in these more or less remote areas, you'd note that, like, there's no there's no city planning to them. It's not like a gridded city it's it's basically like we just we kind of built where we built and you know the roads kind of formed as they formed and it was very i thought that was a really they did a really really damn good job with that and especially with the cathedrals being these like gigantic um buildings with so many different nooks and crannies in them different levels to them you know, bell towers, basements, all that kind of aspect to it, which which was really cool. But again, a lot of a lot of that was there's one path to this, or or a a very strong path that you should choose if you want to get to the next level. This is probably the path you want to choose. But I don't know what were your th- what were your feelings on sort of the linearity of the game? Yeah, uh, I think you make a good point uh, to to note that some of the levels very much do have a sort of, um, uh, I don't want to say hub-like mentality to them. Like, I wouldn't compare what's going on in these levels to what is going on in, like, say, like, uh, you know, like Rise of the Tomb Raider or something like that. Right. Um, But they have a similar sort of, like, design where there are lots of little obstacles in your way that make it feel more 
open than it actually is, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but I, I did kind of feel, uh, I did kind of feel that until you're, um, sort of going into areas with tons of rats, I, I, I did feel kind of like it was just sort of like, I don't want to say the same thing over and over again, but in terms of like the way that, that the levels are laid out, I, I felt like it was very, uh, again, I, I, I don't want to say repetitive because that's, that's not what I really think that it is, but it is one of those things where I would go in, I would know where my objective is, and then I would get to my objective. Whereas, <laughs> like, when once the rats are st- starting to become, like, m- more of an issue sort of thing, where you're having to find, like, like where you're having to avoid not only the rats, but, like, the, the other people that are kind of, like, out there and about. Like, once there was that sort of, like, a puzzle to solve, I felt like I got more out of the game uh, yeah. fr- from the level design. Um, I, I think, I, and tell me if you agree with this, but if if I had, like, a Sobo's level design blueprints and, like, the 30,000-foot view of what the map looked like, looked like, I would love to see that because I would love to see yeah. what those, like, those different pathways would be, and then I would love to go through the game and actually try those, but to to a lot of what you said like i didn't feel like those were necessary or in some cases i didn't even notice it you know where it's Mm -hmm. just like you again they're very they were very good at telegraphing like where you needed to go like what Mm -hmm. what the best path was but if i could see that thirty thousand foot view i i would probably sit there and say like oh like there's there's another path this way Oh, there's more collectibles here, or there's less guards here, or you know, it would have. I think it would have made for um, a little bit more fun. Yeah, I agree with that, and I I think to an extent that actually speaks to how well the story is told. Um, that I didn't like. I think I I noticed it on like a replay, uh, where I was like actively taking notes and stuff, but when I was playing it the first time, it wasn't something that I really paid attention to. I was really enthralled in the story. I didn't like, I was just a very much, okay, I need to get to this point sort of thing. Um, it wasn't something that like, I was like, uh, again, it wasn't something that where I was actively like, this is very, uh, you know, straightforward and, and point a point yeah. B sort of thing. Where, um, where it's more like you're wrapped up in like the horror of it. Right. Exactly. Like, you know, you're you're climbing over, you know, thousands of dead pigs. <laughs> you're just like, oh wow, the rats got them, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The uh, the the opening sequence of the game is very much that that same way. I don't think that there is much to the opening sequence. Like, I feel like it's very much a you start right before you get to like the apple tree. You get you're in that little um. Uh, I guess it's uh like a little field or like a, like a semi forest. And then it leads you all the way into like the kind of like dark parts of the forest when you're chasing the boar and stuff like that. It's all very much like one path, but like I was so into what was going on and finding the dog and hunting the boar and all of that stuff that it was very much. Yeah. (laughs) That I was very much like, um, 
okay, like let let's let's move. Like it it the story almost funnels you through the area as opposed to like letting you explore because I want to know what's going on in the story as opposed to like, I want to explore this area. You wanted to hear what her father had to say. You wanted to see her like learn how to use this sling. You you, Mm -hmm. you know, they, there were, there were, they kept your attention in very good ways. Yes. A hundred percent. Um, the only other thing I think I wanted to bring up before we kind of get into like the way that the game looks is uh, there is a little bit of a combat system to this. Uh, it's very simplistic, <laughs> I think. It's a very nice way of putting it. <laughs> um, but really, you don't have to engage in a lot of combat until you get to the boss fights. Um, so what are your feelings on on that? So there, there's one point, and this is in the, the encampment too, um, and there's a great line when it was Amicia, uh, Amicia Hugo and Melly. Um, you have the option in the encampment once you break Hugo out to try and get through the rest of the encampment without really killing anyone. Mm-hmm. And there are some collectibles and, and crafting elements strewn about. And I loved this line because you can wind up your sling and aim for one of the archer's heads. And Melly goes, is this really necessary? And Amicia, Amicia, like stone cold killer is just like, she just goes, I'm tired of this. (laughs) (laughs) It was like, whoa, like it was, it was a really good, like it's one of those throwaway lines, but when you hear it, and mm-hmm. you, you kind of feel the same way. Like, I am so tired of, of running around these idiots. Like, I'm taking them out one by one as I go through the rest of this level. I thought that was really, really, like, a very good touch to those people who, who may have felt the same way at that point. You know, mm-hmm. like, the rest of it, you, you could totally walk by or, or you know... Um, crouch by a lot of these different uh these different guards but i just love the fact that she was just like is this really necessary she's like i am so tired of this shit and just i'm gonna launch a rock at this guy's head and kill him um (laughs) i I think my my feelings on the combat again in the regular levels i think it's it's a necessity to help solve the puzzles right like Mm -hmm. you know there are guards with strong helmets so you need this this one element that will melt their helmet or you know there's a there's a sleeping um there's a sleeping stone or 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 projectile that you can launch at them and will will knock them out and won't kill them but it will knock them out so like i get that and and it's fine and the lock-on mechanic is super forgiving um you know like this (laughs) This is the girl who should have taken on Goliath, right? Like, she's just, like, excellent with a sling. But um, my biggest, I, I think, you know, crafting is a minor complaint. My biggest complaint about this game are the boss fights. I, I think they're just, they're, they're not indicative of what this game is. Um, this is a stealth game, right? It's stealth yeah. and puzzles. So, you know, running around these giant you know french and english like titans and trying to 
you know, launch a rock at their head or knock their armor off or something like that. It's just, it adds this layer of like hectic and frantic running around and doesn't really do justice to what, what the game does best. I think it's just, it's so, it's so unnecessary. And, and I think the only boss fight that made the most sense to me was when you're fighting the Grand Inquisitor's, like, um, captain or whatever, Nicholas. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, because a lot of that boss fight is hiding, you know? Like, you, you're, you're hiding from this guy. He is chasing you around this arena, and you have to sort of guide him to these areas where then the rats finish him off, right? Like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn this light out, the rats will pop up, and then we'll, we'll eat him alive, and then you have to, you know, repeat that a few times, but you're not actively trying to um, just knock this guy out like the first boss fight in the game. You know, you're just, I'm just going to whip these rocks at him until his armor falls off and then one one smooth stone to the temple and he's gone. But I think Nicholas, that boss fight, was was better paced than any of the other ones. I think the other thing... And I, I don't know how far into the game you want to get, but that final boss fight with the Grand Inquisitor mm -hmm. uh, was a just a nightmare for me. It was I, I think I probably tried that boss fight ten times, and it was all just trial and error, trial and error, and trying to figure out like what am I supposed to do to get this guy down, and it just it felt so out of place. It felt very forced that like you had to have this grand standoff with this old, you know, Bishop looking guy. But, um, I, I get that they probably wanted to include the rat mechanic and that controlling the rat mechanic as much as they could. But man, did that boss fight just feel like a slog. And I get it. It was fun. Like it was funny. Like these giant towers of rats. Like it's it's almost comical to a to a sense. But <laughs> it just felt so out of place. Like it just it it felt like such a. It felt like a chore. Like it 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 felt out of place and it felt like a chore. I just did not. I, I was not too happy with that. I I remember almost like giving up at a point where it was just like how do I cut through this guy? And, and even some of the, you know, the discords that we're in, I remember just kind of like complaining and people were like, yep, that's the worst part of the game. <laughs> but, uh, it was, it was bonkers to say the least. I don't know. how did you yeah. feel about it? Did you, did you like, did you breeze through these? Did you feel that you were kind of like slogged down by them? Yeah. I, I do, to an extent, feel like they kind of hurt the pacing of the game. Um, I don't hate them, uh, but I'm very much of the opinion that games do not necessarily need boss fights, and they for sure do not need final bosses. That is not something that like video games have to have. That is, I feel like, a sort of like carryover from the long like held belief of this is how you design a video game sort of thing. And I, I think that that's kind of dumb. Uh, I think video games can be more than that. Um, yeah. And especially in a game where the main, the two main mechanics are stealth 
and yep. puzzle solving. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, I I do think that they to an extent kill the pacing. Uh, I I think you bring up the one I I think very strong, um, case of a boss fight, and that is with Nicholas. I I do genuinely think that that is a very good section of the game. Like it's a very good um set piece if you want to call it that right um, their home is burning this guy has invaded he th- he's on this murderous quest to bring back this kid and and kill the sister like you know they have history <laughs> yeah they have like a history to him and you sort of want to see this thing end for this guy mm-hmm. but it it again to me it made sense it used the mechanics of the game well mm-hmm. versus you know, just again running around this big, like dumb, you know, like moron, and just launching rocks at him until he goes down. Yeah. Um. It it felt it felt way more appropriate. In in fact, if I had to ask, like if I had to get a, an honest answer from this team, it almost felt like that could have been the final boss of the game. I think Whereas, so too. You know, like they and and then they probably said like, well, there's there's a lot left in this game, and and there's another antagonist, and we have to figure out what to do with that guy. But this felt like it was the culmination of a lot of what this game had to teach you. Yeah, I I 100% agree with that. Um, like I I, I genuinely tend to think that like, I mean, we'll get it into it. Uh a little bit more when we get to like the plot and the narrative. Um, but I, I tend to think that the biggest problem with this game is the fact that the bosses are relatively weak. Um, I mean, it, it's not that they don't necessarily have spectacle or even like story moments around them that actually like make them a little bit more compelling. It's more so that they just weren't necessary uh, in, in the grand scheme of things, I don't think. Yeah, it it felt it felt a little like maybe somebody there was like, we still have to make a video game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, but uh, I, I I think that's all I wanted to speak about with the bosses. Um, yeah. So, speaking of spectacle, speaking of spectacle, uh, let's go ahead and talk about the visuals for the game. Um. I don't know what I would call the art style, but I think it uh, is is closer to what you would look at from a Naughty Dog type presentation versus something like, say, Nintendo. Uh, but I don't have much to say about the art style other than I think it has like I, I genuinely love the um, sort of what's what do i want to say um i kind of love the i'm th- i'm trying to think of the word lord um the <laughs> i i don't know i'm i'm coming up at a blank but like the the sort of like the vast aesthetic? array yeah well yeah uh, i was going to say the vast array of how the um the locations are presented uh, I think you've kind of talked about it a little bit, but like each area feels very different, even though it's all in the same, like sort of like 
visual style, if that makes sense. It, in in a in a way, a lot of it, the settings are you know usually get it's an inverse, right? If you're spread mm-hmm. wide, you're usually not spread deep. But in this case, it felt like it was spread wide and it was spread deep because I think they use they use a lot of color yes to help explain the settings very well like mm-hmm. the darks are very dark the the twilight or the the dusk settings felt very um bright and almost like welcoming and warming i, I felt like if i had to ask the the way that i the way that i i view a lot of like the visuals of this game is i i think this team probably said like what did somebody from, you know, 1801 think the the 1300s looked like? Mm-hmm. And that's what they went with. Because yeah. it, it felt very, like, it felt very Renaissance, right? It felt like it had this very, like, tinge of sort of oranges and, and bright yellows and, and ambers to it in very, very nice ways. The, the greens were very lush, the environments felt super. The way the the word I would use is like enthralling. They felt dense, mm-hmm. and for a game, it's funny for a game that we just kind of complained about the linearity of. They did a very good job of keeping this thing, you know, very photorealistic, but yet almost like a living canvas. Um, I think the settings were really where this game shined the most out of anything else because you, you're you're walking through these fields and it felt like you were really in these, you know, this, this wheat patch or this Mm -hmm. grass or trudging through mud or, you know, again, you know, surrounded by these rats with these glowing red eyes. Like it was very, it, it captured you. It captured you in a very nice way. Um, and the, and the, the grotesqueness, was great too. Like when you'd cut through those towns and you'd see the rats running around in the streets, it was like, you know, it's putrid. Like it's disgusting. Like, these, Oh yeah. You know, like it really, or like when they leave corpses, you'd see like, you know, nothing but like barely flesh on bones. And it was very, very, um, very stark contrasts between like the, the beauty of nature and like the wrath of nature. But uh, I I really love the way they they contrasted um, light and dark here, and especially like you know when you'd grab a torch, like it wasn't even the torches weren't like these, you know, almost like lighthouse beacons. They were very soft, right? Like the light was very soft. Like it kept mm-hmm. you, like it kept an aura around you, which was really cool. It felt like you had this the shield around you, which was really, really nice. And the rats would, would scurry away. I did like the fact that if the rats were trapped in a corner and the game had no way of getting them around, they just like explode into bursts of light, which was pretty funny. But, uh, yeah, it was really, it means it's a gorgeous looking game. I think the other, the other aspect to like what you had brought up about naughty dog games or, or some of these more, very very hyper realistic video games um the faces were really good like these kids would get bruised and dirty and and 
you know, be running through countryside and, you know, you close up on their, you know, you zoom in on their face, they are covered in dirt and mud and, you know, their clothes are worn out. Like the, the characters, or at least the main cast of characters, looked very, you know, real. They did a really, really damn good job for being, you know, a smaller studio that may not have had the budget that a, a Naughty Dog has. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they nailed a lot of that, too. Yeah, yeah. I I definitely 100% agree with you on everything you said about, like, the the sort of uh, environmental, uh, the way that everything looks environmentally. And the lighting in this game is just fucking insane. Uh, I mean, I... I played this on the Xbox Series X um, for this episode. I had originally played it on the, um, I think the PS4, I think is where I played it the first time. Yeah, my, my first encounter was on PS5. Okay. So I, yeah, I, I, I it really just got looks spoiled. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, I, like the things that they have done uh, on these newer versions uh, have definitely brought it up to where it looked on the PC when it first released. And it just, it's, it really is stunning to look at, um, especially with the lighting effects. I think uh, the one thing I did want to to say, I, I do agree with you to an extent on the characters. Like I do like that it it shows up where like you do see them getting dirty and you see like you know blood and stuff like that, like on their uh, like scrapes and stuff like that on their faces and stuff like that. But um, I do think that some of the facial animations look a little bit almost like a you know back in like the 80s and 90s the the weird baby dolls that had like the um i guess it was plastic like they they had like the plastic face that would like move <laughs> i felt like their faces sometimes kind of looked like that like it didn't or look like the... <laughs> i was going to go with the 3D portions of the real adventures of Johnny Quest. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You could definitely go that route as well. There was just... It wasn't all the time. It was only in certain sequences that I would notice this, and I would be like, huh, that's kind of off-putting. I don't like that very much. But I think that that was few and far in between. Um, it's not something that I would really... It, like it's a nitpick more than like a, a legitimate complaint, I think. Right. But right. but it is something that definitely like when it when I would see that happen, I would be like, oh, oh, and I think in that way it kind of shows its budget. Um, yeah. <laughs> but but for the most part, almost everything looked, I mean, stunning, like really really stellar. Um, but I think the the main crux of the game is the narrative. I think that that's uh, probably the the biggest uh, thing for this game. Um, yeah. W- so I guess let's talk about the plot because I think that I have a hot take about this. Uh, maybe not, but maybe. Um, is, this, is this going in like a, like maybe the Inquisition was right. <laughs> have to yeah. find these kids that have these diseases yeah um, that's that's exactly my hot take that right there <laughs> uh no i so i think that the game is in in a narrative sense we'll get to it thematically uh, what it really what it really is like saying and and why i think that it is good but the the plot is very much a 
uh, is very kind of strange for me in two aspects. Uh, one, it's that, well, I, I guess it's not even really two. I guess it, it does come down to one. And I, I think that it's the end of the game. You, spoiler alert, all right, the game is like three, almost three years old. But spoiler alert anyway, if you haven't played it. Um, I really do hate the ending of the plot to this game. <laughs> like, I kind of just... So, this kid has a... Like a... Uh, I don't want to call it a curse, but he has like a disease, I guess, that allows him to control the rats... And that's why the church is after him, so that then well, they can control the rats. Like, yeah, it's. I don't think it's that it's so much of it. It's the church. It's this like. It's this like sect of Christianity that understands that this curse has been around for, like eons, mm-hmm. and they want to control it to help you know, I don't know, control humanity or or reach God or whatever it is. But yeah, like (laughs) the fact that this kid is like, you know, it's a plague tale. It's almost like he's plagued with this problem. But uh, (laughs) yeah, I see what you did there. Yeah, I'm pretty good with that stuff. Um, It halfway through this game, it went from historical fiction to science fiction yeah and Mm -hmm. you know there were a lot of moments where i was like okay so like when does the superhero come out then (laughs) like when (laughs) when does like you know english man or french man come and save the day because like it, it almost had that sort of like the way that the fast and the furious movies were about cars and then became about like family (laughs) well not just family but like I'm going to take this crowbar and you're going to take this wrench. And when we hit the, the earth is going to shatter because that's how strong we are. Like, like when did that happen? But it it very much like morphed into a very, very different thing. And, And I went into this being like, it's 1348. The plague is, is healthily destroying Europe. And there's a horrible war going on between two European superpowers where could this go? And then by the end of the game, you're like, oh, it went there. Oh, it went to, it went to, well, the rats were really our friends all along. You know, like <laughs> it was just, it was very like, and to your point, like the theme is very good. I, I loved the aspects of the game that were like themat like that thematically made sense. But man, did this thing go from like, you know, two kids on the run from, the the english army to this priest is like <laughs> injecting himself with stuff from resident evil 4 you know yeah. like it was very very weird but in a lot of ways like it made sense it, like sometimes or like it made it, it it helped further the 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 story along like i just i get a sense that like if part 1 of this game if, like, these were books, like, part one feels like it was written by the original author, and part two feels like it was written by their their son or daughter, you know? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I I hundred uh, percent agree with that. I I think that like I'm really into what this game is trying to say, like thematically, the entire way through. I think when I look at the story, though, the game definitely loses me once we find out that Hugo can control the rats and that that's why the Inquisition and the church are after him. Um, Like, I I don't know what it is in particular about that that really kind of puts me off. But I, I, if I had to kind of like pinpoint it, it's that I do think that the entire first half to to maybe close to three quarters of the game it is very very much a like you said it's a historical fiction sort of thing and it's very much based in reality and then once that sort of reveal hits it is very much like a whoa what the fuck am i playing now (laughs) right so it was about the brother all along right like it was like yes like I get that and like oh like the great power comes from a place where you never expected it okay that's fine I understand that but now there are towers of rats everywhere (laughs) like now there are like instead of just rats coming out of the ground like in a volcanic fashion now they're like towering above cathedrals and like (laughs) overrunning town like are there even that many rats on the planet like (laughs) it just felt like it felt like there were just like rats for rats for rats and then you know and hugo's like i have a headache like okay but now that means i can eat all of these french soldiers or english soldiers everywhere and you know i can fight this other inquisitor who now the rats are a little bit different of a shade so you know they're bad rats but (laughs) you know it's it was very it got weird real like just halfway through that game and even so like i I loved the aspect of like hey we found this castle we can live here we don't have to like like, we'll we'll run away from the inquisition and and outlast them and that's great and then it just, it still continued on of like, oh no, I think we have to, I think we have to venture out and help this kid out because something in this, alch- you know, like alchemic plot will really shine through. Just give us a few more minutes. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. It gets, it gets very strange, but uh, I, the, the place where I don't think that it falters, like I've said, is is I think thematically, I think everything is held together really nicely. Um, yeah. And uh, I think it's fairly obvious that family and innocence are the um, are are the big ones to kind of take innocence, away. Huh? I, I, what, I think what, so. Yeah, uh, you know. You think that? Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, what? What's the big one that that you took away? I I think probably family, right? So, yeah, I I think there's... The beginning of this game, this is a family, right? Mm -hmm. They're the Daroons. Amicia, Hugo, their their parents, and they have a very comfortable life for 1348 or 1347, whatever it is. You know, they live in a castle. They have land. People are, you know, people cook for them. People clean for them. They're 
clearly lords and ladies of France. And that's, that's great. Like, they're, they're held together by a lot of that stuff. And, and when strife comes, and they, they really have to figure a lot of things out, and, and these challenges approach, it, it does tear them apart. I mean, in some cases, literally, because the father is, the father is killed. You know, the mother in the beginning, you, you get the sense of, oh, she's gone, now it's just these kids. But, you know, they're torn asunder. And, and I think you, you get into this situation where Amicia is very upset because she learns that they are after Hugo. And that if it wasn't for him, her, her castle would still be standing. You know, if it wasn't for him, she'd still have her parents. But now she's saddled with this kid who is who's a burden. He's five, you know, like it's not his fault, but she sort of sees it as like, oh, like I, I am responsible for this kid. He, he is my brother. Like my mother told me to, you know, keep him safe or, fi- you know, find this alchemist to help him. And she doesn't understand. Like it's it, it makes sense in that regard. But as the story goes on, you know, she she changes from this idea of like forced responsibility to I want to save my brother because I love him. And Mm -hmm. I thought that was really, really cool. And a lot of, there are a lot of points in the game that sort of telegraph that. And I think one of them is uh, the thief Melly. And she says, uh, she says to her, to Amici at one point in the middle of the game, like after they escape, um, after they escape and, and Arthur gets captured, her uh, Melly's twin brother gets captured, she she even says to Amicia, uh, almost in like a sisterly fashion, right? Almost in like this, I'm giving you advice as like almost like a family member, like take it for what it's worth, but you know you you wanna you wanna hear me out here. But she says it doesn't look easy, but believe me, it's worth it. He'll save you. They always end up saving you even though brothers, sometimes you just want to kill them. Like, you know, she, she's sort of saying to Amicia, like, you don't have anybody else. Like, mm-hmm. even me, even Melly, like, you don't have me. I'm not going to be there forever. I have my own family. And we can sort of get through a lot of the stuff together. I'm, I'm happy that you'll help me get my brother back. But, you know, he is all you have. And for better or for worse... You know, it, it, it may seem like a responsibility, but you have to learn to love this kid because, you know, if he's gone, you have no one. And I, I thought that was really, really powerful for this game. And you sort of see, you see that later on in the game. Um, again, big spoiler alert, but when Melly's twin brother, Arthur, is killed, Melly loses it. She goes into, like, a rampage and... You know, she throws caution to the wind. It's mm-hmm. not, you know, it is not about saving Hugo at that point. She wants to take out as many of the English as she can before she goes down. Because, in a sense, she sort of telegraphed this to Amicia, but, like, Arthur was all she had. That yeah. was her brother. They, they were thieves. They were on the run. They were, you know, scoundrels. And they, they survived by pickpocketing. And, you know, as as much as that's like a horrible lifestyle and like it's unfortunate for them but they had each other you know so when she gets into this it, when she learns that her brother is is gone she's just like i don't care what the plan is i'm just going to kill as many as i can and mm-hmm. it it felt more it felt like more of a real 
revenge story than a lot of the, you know, other revenge stories that are out there in, in video game land. But, you know, the, the idea of keeping to your family and, and, and sort of keeping faith in your family and being responsible for them and, and not just responsible, but, you know, having that like, you know, familial love was was really important to me or at least that's the biggest thing that I took away from this game was like you know despite all odds like these are yours these are your people like you Mm got to do what you can for them despite you know the English army coming after you but I, I I really I grasped to that aspect a lot and you know you can even hear it in Amicia's voice in the beginning she's like she's like Hugo Hugo stop stop now Come take my hand, Hugo. And then, you know, later on in the game, she's like, she's really, you know, she's like, Hugo, go after, you know, like, like, save us, help us. Or like, I'm going after my brother. I'm finding him. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not going to stop until I find him. But even the, the I just love the way she would, uh, Hugo, Hugo, <laughs> take my hand. Like, you know, very, very French. I liked it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I, I, think everything you pointed out there with their story in particular is um is very on point and it's exactly how i feel the the relationship between amicia and hugo definitely is something that evolves from the very beginning where she sees him almost as a burden to to the end where they very much are the family together but i I think it's even also kind of hit home with the other kids that they well and this will tie in with the theme of innocence but it also like they almost form their own family with all of the kind of like i I don't want to say lost kids but like it it almost has like a lord of the flies kind of yeah feel to it right like kids find paradise try to make paradise work for them but in this mm-hmm. case they they almost succeed right like they yeah. almost pull it off yeah and and i they yeah i they form their own little family unit in in this castle and it's like it's nice it's it's really like i i love the little touches that they that they threw in there with with this little section in particular where it is a matter of like they come together to form their own little, like, uh, I guess living space or, or, or what have you with, you know, with Roderick, with Arthur and Melier, uh, and, uh, does Lucas, Lucas. Yeah. 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 That's, I was like, what's his name? Um, it's he, he's probably, <laughs> Oh, you mean science kid, science kid. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I, I loved that. And I, I do think that it ties in with the theme of innocence where like these kids are, well, I mean, they're kids and they're having to deal with like very this, adult problems. Yes. Very adult problems. Like they're having to go up against an entire fucking army, you know, um, but or or in a, in some cases like figure out a a science like a chemistry equation that yeah. no one mm-hmm. has figured out yet you know like it it's really they're thrust into a situation where they don't get a chance to to really be themselves and when you do see them be themselves like th- they kind of just want to have fun right like even Melly like in some of the 
puzzle solving things or, or aspects of the game. Like when you're in the castle, like she refers to herself as like an Amazon, you know, like I'm a warrior. Like, look at me as even in the face of danger. Right. She's trying to like find some fun with it. But yeah. 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 It's uh, a lot. Uh, all of the writing with that in particular, like, I, like I said before, not necessarily the plot itself, but, all, everything with with the themes uh, and the and the writing there really really works for me. Uh, yeah, it, the other thing I I want to get your take on too when it comes to innocence is like the idea that you know Hugo is a five year old, right? Mm-hmm. Like he he doesn't know any better, and for for what it's worth, like he understands that people are after him. And he doesn't know, and he's he feels very like he feels bad, right? Like he feels like he's done something wrong, and you know he always he throughout the game he asks Amicia like, you know, what did I do? And she's always kind of like nothing, like you didn't do anything, like you're just you, like, you know. Mm-hmm. And he he doesn't really understand it, but like he's sort of having like the innocence ripped away from him. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. what are your what were your thoughts on that? Like sort of like did the almost like degradation of innocence throughout the game. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think that that definitely ties in with the fact that they're having to do like adult type stuff. Like at the very beginning of the game, right. You have, uh, Amicia who is kind of like learning to, to hunt, but like the entire conversation with her father and how she treats, uh, Leon, the dog, is very much, it's very, uh, I mean, I hate to use this word, but it's innocent. Like, she is a kid. And I I think it kind of, like, ties in, not necessarily with just her, but with with Hugo as well. Like, we have that scene uh, with um, uh, the the old lady, uh, what's her name? Uh, Claire, uh, Claire V., uh, where you know they start to have a fight, and he doesn't understand that you know he's being loud and that they're going to come and get them. He doesn't care. He just knows that their mother will save them. You know. Yeah. And then by the end of the game, that's just not who either of those characters are anymore. They're they're no like they have had their innocence ripped away from them. Uh, I think cold killers. And I think Hugo, maybe to a lesser extent because he is only five. Right. But like, but I do think that both of them by the end of the game, very much have a different, um, uh, I I don't know what to call it, but like, I guess outlook on life. Yeah. (laughs) That was exactly what I was going to say. It's just it's the it is totally not where they were at the beginning of the story. Both of them. Yeah, the one of the points I think that really hammers it home too is like one of the early missions where you're you're evading the English. There's a um, I think it's like a hayfield or something like that, and Hugo runs away and he's like hiding, mm-hmm. you know, and and Amicia is like, "What are you doing? Like, this is no time for games. Like, we can't." Like, we got to go, kid. And mm-hmm. she sort of, like, scolds him. And there are other times, too, where, like, she's, she's, she's really, she's unfair to him to a degree, right? Like, I mean, who, what other teenager wouldn't be like, kid, shut up. 
you know, like we're going to die if you continue to, you know, squeak back there. But, you know, she she gets really sort of nasty with him. Yeah. And the kid like, you know, he he walks away or he's like, he's like, I don't need you to take your hand like, you know, the way a five year old would be like resentful. But it, it isn't until like they're separated that he's like, oh, like my, like I, I needed you, like we, we have to get out of here, like we, we gotta go, but um, it is it, it there's stark differences between the beginning of the game where she's like, you go stop, you go be quiet, you know, like versus at the end where she's like, I, again, like I, I need to save this kid, <laughs> like help me get my brother back, you know, like help me take down this evil bishop or this evil grand inquisitor because they're never going to stop hunting us. But yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I think, uh, I mean, I think we've nailed everything with narrative. Um, you want to get into the characters now? Sure. Okay. Uh, I think these first couple will have less things to say about because they are only in the game for like, maybe like a scene or two. Yeah. Even, even some of the other, like when you do get down, like when we get down to like some of the more, more prominent characters, like they really, they were not, you know, they were not there for a long time. Like you, you, you really, I think like the last five, I think really kind of hammer home the story, but yeah, Mm -hmm. to your point. Let's hammer these out. All right. So Father Thomas, he is the little old guy that they meet in the church. Uh, Is he, I'm trying to remember, uh, I don't think he's the first one to get attacked by the rats, but he's the first instance where we kind of like get a... um, Like danger? Yeah, get a sense of that uh, that danger, right? Um, I believe so, yeah. I, did you have any thoughts on him? I just thought he was a nice little old man. Yeah. I mean, a little forgettable, to be yeah. quite honest. Like, But to your point, like, yeah, he's, again, maybe a, a signal of innocence for this game. Like, oh, like, here's an elderly figure that, you know, only kind of just serves to live and, and wants to, you know, yeah, be a, a beacon or like be like some like a wise sage kind of thing, but yeah, uh, I I do like that he was a little bit um, <clears throat> like when you first meet him, he's kind of unwilling to help the kids, uh, and he kind of he kind of says, you know, I'm I'm aware of what what's going on with the rats. I understand that they're like a big threat, uh, so you need to go. Like this is to protect you. <laughs> And then, <laughs> and then he finds out. Oh, uh, I know who you guys are. Okay, let me help you. And then it's immediately yeah. like ripped away from them. <laughs> yeah, it, it uh, is. It's very funny that like in even in thirteen forty eight, it's not what you know; it's who you know. <laughs> right. Uh. All right. Uh. I actually, I should probably put these. Uh, in reverse order because um, I think Claire V actually you you meet before Conrad, but um, yeah. So uh, we'll do, yeah, we'll do her for her. We'll do her first. 
Okay. Yeah, I I kind of feel the same exact way about Claire V as I do about Father Thomas. She's just a nice little old lady. Um, I feel like she was a little more stern. You know, like she had like a sternness about her. Like, mm -hmm. like put on these clothes. Like, you guys look terrible. You know, like, <laughs> you're going to have to leave. Like, you're going to have to get out of here. You know, she, she, and you almost get a sense that like Amicia was like, maybe you can save us. And she was like, no, <laughs> like, I'm like, like I'm an old, old woman. Like they're going to burst down my doors and, and they're going to find you. Mm. Like it, she, she almost had like a little bit more of like a realism to her. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I, I paint her in the sort of like kindly old lady because she does let them change. And because she, she for lack of a better term, she does invite them into, into her house. She uh, helps, yeah. Yeah, she could have just let them stay and die. <laughs> but Yeah, like, go around. <laughs> yeah. And uh, she also is the one who teaches uh, um, Amicia how to upgrade her sling, correct? Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so, um, yeah, I liked her, but there's not much to latch on to in terms of uh, a, a full-fledged character there. She's definitely, in a story about escaping... She's one of those people that just comes and goes, right? You know, yeah. like that's sort of the the idea with those. The, I think those first two. Yeah. Um, next one we've got is uh, Conrad Malfort. Uh, he, again, this is one that I don't think there's necessarily a lot to him, but he uh, should be pointed out because he is the first boss of the game. Right? And he, yeah, and he is just a... He is a big, dumb animal, right? Like, yeah. he is just like, I'm going to, you know, use this. Does he have, like, a hammer or something? Is that what he's using? Yeah, I, I think so. He, and he's just like, I'm going to crush this 16-year-old. And, you know, people are in the back cheering because, you know, it's <laughs> lawlessness in France. But uh, <laughs> you just, again, rip this part out of the game. Like, you even rip this character out of the game. Like, he is just... He's very like almost stereotypical mm -hmm. yeah. to a degree. Like he he is he is a video game ass video game character. Yeah, uh, yeah. There is um, there's a little bit uh, to him, I think, because uh, you know, uh, he lost his son and several of the villagers uh, in the village that he lives in. Because of the plague. Because of the Daroons, yeah, and the but, plague, yeah. But I, other than that, there I, again, there's not much to latch onto, I don't think, un unfortunately. Um, <clears throat> so the next one would be Laurentius. Um, he's the doctor and the, the alchemist that uh, they're worked. supposed to find. Yeah. yeah. And then he worked with the mother. Yeah, he worked exactly. with uh, Beatrice Theron. Yeah, um, do you have any any wide ranging thoughts on him? The only one I have is I think that his death is kind of tragic, uh, in a in a weird way because uh, he doesn't succumb to the bite that he has. He's I, he's still killed by the rats, but <laughs> you know, yeah, he. he... I, I, he's unfortunate, right? Like he's in a pretty unfortunate situation. Like he probably, like if this guy were alive, 
throughout half the game, they probably would have found a lot of what they needed to find way earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's kind of like this very, very high-ranking alchemist. And so is Beatrice. So is the mother. But um, he kind of, like, almost in, like, a fashion of, like, the giver, mm-hmm. like, passes on his knowledge to Lucas. But, yeah, he's he, like, regrettably just kind of passes. And yeah. then then it just a fire breaks out and you know you have you have to leave and it's it's pretty or not that the fire breaks out but like the rats start coming in you have to start using the light he's he's really he comes and goes you know like he and he he's actually really important in the early parts of the games in the early parts of the game because he does point out when he sees Hugo he's like oh shit you brought him here <laughs> like, yeah yeah <laughs> He's like, oh, you brought this kid here. Oh, okay. And and Misia is like, fix him. Like, like we're here to fix him. Like, do what you have to do. Like, make this quick. And he kind of points out, like, it ain't gonna be quick, kid. Like, it's not gonna, it's not gonna be quick. And I think that frustrates Amicia to the point of like scolding Hugo. You know, mm-hmm. it's yeah. I he also, if if I remember correctly. He also comes back uh, kind of in the same way that uh, I think Claire V does um, in Amicia's dreams later right. in the game. Um, but yeah, uh, uh, this is another character that I think is unfortunately a little bit underwritten, uh, it, almost serving more like a plot point than anything else. Yeah. Do you want to do you want to jump to? Maybe her father, because I there I have more to say about like some of these other characters, but okay, yeah, yeah. I, think, I go I ahead. Think Robert is very the the Robert Darun, um, Hugo Namisi's father is very you know again he is not in this game very long. Yeah. He helps teach Amicia how to use her sling. He's he is he is a teacher, right? He is trying to show her how to survive on your own, despite the fact that these people are very well off. You know, again, you walk through their their castle and you get a sense that like all these people are sort of bowing their heads to a sixteen year old, you know, like she you know, their family kind of runs the roost and Robert's still trying to at least teach her, like, hey, you may not have this forever. Like you kind of need to know how to fend for yourself, and like it's just, it's just good to understand and know how to do these things, and you know survive. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that I think he was he was a good character to help flesh some of that out. But um, again, too little time with him. Yeah, I I agree. Uh, I I do think that uh, his his death holds a lot of weight over what's happening with the rest of the story. Um, yeah. Especially when you get to the, the part where um, Amicia and Lucas uh, go back to the estate and um, they kind of like pick his bones. Like, well, like they basically eat his cup or like his corpse all the way down to the bone. And like Amicia is really like, fucking devastated yeah uh and and i i think that his death really does kind of hold like a a a lot of power over amicia uh and and what she goes through 
throughout the story. Um, it's sort of like the symbol of destruction for her family, mm-hmm. right? Like, this is the guy who carries the name for them. Yeah. You know, like, they are the Daroons because of him. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I, I do agree with you. Yeah, he, he is not in the story as, as much as, uh, as probably... Um, I probably should have put him lower down on the list, but uh, it is what it is. <laughs> um, in that case, uh, I, I think we should also probably talk about the mother because I, she's not in the game as much either. Um, yeah, and and she's you know, you you there's a little bait and twist there, like bait and switch, but you sort of think she's gone. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, I think that. So I think that her character actually also is one of those ones that is very much holds a uh, a strong like uh, story beat for uh, Amicia because I I kind of feel like uh, Amicia and Beatrice do not have a relationship almost at all um, because Beatrice is always taking care of Hugo and kind of neglecting. Yeah, she's Amicia. very dismissive towards Amicia. Yeah. And and because of that, I think that she actually, I think Amicia actually harbors a little bit of um, uh, resentment, like resentment towards yeah. Hugo because of that. Uh, but outside of her, what she has going on with the actual plot itself um, and, and being like the... Um, she she has something to do with the the first threshold of the the prima macula, correct? Or am I misremembering that? She, yeah, that that I don't. I'm I'm quite there on, but she she definitely holds more cards mm-hmm. and holds them to the vest. Uh, not until later in the game when you really learn like what they've kind of been lurking, uh, working on. But, um, she, the way, and I, I hate to be like very reductive, but she was pretty much like when you do find her in the jail, she gives a lot of context of, to what is going on. She, she basically gives a ton of info on what the hell is actually happening here. And, I don't want to say that she's reduced to being like an info dump, but she does provide a lot of context to Hugo. Like, you know, Hey, this is like how you use this stuff. You know, like she was very kind of instrumental in that. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I think between her and Laurentius, like I think they, they understood where, like what the castle was sitting on. Mm-hmm. I think that's what they, were, what they were trying to use was like figure out what secrets were in the castle that they could help treat this kid. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know if there's really much more that I could say about it. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't think so either for me. Uh, I think she holds some weight, but it's, um, she's not around enough to, I think, harbor, uh, any, any more of our speaking time. <laughs> yeah. Um, Let's move on to Arthur, who we meet. Uh, we meet at the same time as uh, when we meet Laurentius, correct? Arthur, uh, the brother. 
Or no. Who am I thinking of? You're thinking of Lucas. I'm thinking of Lucas. Okay. Um, So let's talk about... Oh, yeah. I I don't know. They're literally right next to each other. Arthur and uh, Melier, or Melly, or I don't know. Um, Whatever her name is. (laughs) French M word. French French M M word. (laughs) Um, Yeah. uh, I personally love these characters. Uh for a lot of reasons but the number one i think is i do think that they showcase kind of uh what amicia and hugo are going to eventually become or or like they they not just like what they'll become but like what they need to become yes they need to be simpatico right Mm -hmm. like they need to be like you know, Melly signals to Arthur. Arthur does what she signal. You know, like they're on the same wavelength. Yeah. You know, and it's hard. It's it's something that that's very hard to build up to, unless you have sort of that very familial relationship that they have. Right. They're brother and sister. They're twins. Mm-hmm. So they sort of get each other very well, and they're they're lucky that they have that. But you you get the, the other side of it is. Hugo and Amicia, who are, like, disjointed, (laughs) you know, like, I have strong girl who can, you know, maybe take out a couple of soldiers, and kid who is basically useless, you know, it's, they're sort of the antithesis of the main two characters. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, And uh, I, I love all the interactions between the two of them, and I love how it is mirrored. Uh, later once, um, oh my gosh, uh, once Arthur dies, how Millie reacts. Um, and I, I think that it is almost mirrored by Amicia and Hugo later in the game, not to the same extent because obviously Hugo doesn't die, but like Amicia has come to sort of the same exact spot where, she cares so much about Hugo that like any, any sort of like negative thing that's happening with him elicits that same sort of reaction. She, from her. She'd run, she'd run through the worst of it for him, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I really like these characters a lot, uh, but I think for, to me, I think the two, the two girls, in this quartet mm-hmm. are the strongest characters to me in the game. Right. I think, I think so I too. Melly and, and Amicia are oh, yeah, like, they almost developed this sort of like sisterly bond, mm-hmm. but um, you know, Melly is to me, she's one of the more real characters. Again, like you said, she, you know, what happens to Arthur later in the game, she has a very strong real reaction to that. She wants to go in she doesn't care what happens. She just like whatever the plan is. Like, okay, go take Hugo where you need to take him. But I'm gonna wreck shop on all these English before before you do any of that stuff. And and she needs she sort of needs to be corralled a little bit. But um, she is she's sort of like the the sped up or the fast forwarded version of Amicia and Hugo. Like she didn't it didn't seem like she had a childhood she didn't even really want to like 
enjoy her time at the castle in the beginning because she knew there might not be a lot of time with this place. Like, they may have to move on. Um, she's a little bit more adult than, than everybody else or, like, less naive, uh, so to speak. But I, I, I feel like she was probably one of the strongest. She may, she may be my favorite out of all of this, but I, I do my, I do have a real soft spot for Amicia. But, yeah, I, I really like these two characters. Yeah, I'm straight up right there with you. Um, well, uh, I guess let's move on to Roderick. Roderick. Um, so Roderick is the little, he's the one who is the blacksmith. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he was being tortured when the, when the kids first found him. Right. Yep. Okay. Yeah. I, uh, I actually don't have a whole lot of say, to say about Roderick. Uh, I love when he returns to kind of help them and uh, his sort of like death sequence. Um, I I love all of that, but I I kind of uh, I hate to say this, but I kind of feel like his character is a little bit bland. He's muscle. Yeah, you know, like that's I get a lot of the sense that like you know he was there to help take out more you know powerful guards he could help open doors he was he was useful in a lot of that sense um i th- there's there's a portion of the game that's completely missable but um i think it really was the best moment for Roderick outside of his um you know his sacrifice but the the moment where if you run down one of the streets like one of the corridors you actually find his smith, like his forge, like his mm-hmm. family's forge, and he basically just drops to his knees and like sobs. Yeah. And he, I think, if you find that part of the game, it makes his sacrifice a little bit worse, or mm-hmm. not worse, but it's more impactful because you get a sense that like he kind of realizes like I may have lost everything, like, <laughs> I'm, like my, I may have to start over and that's probably going to be really, really hard. But, you know, like, this is my family's forge. Like, my dad was, you know, a master smith. I mean, the father apparently was the one who created some of the, the puzzles and labyrinths to, to keep the library safe, you know, for all of those, like, um, for all of those, like, you know, heretical texts. But, um, yeah, his, his sacrifice was very noble, like yes. He, he kept them alive. That was really good. And he sort of went out in a very ugly fashion. But, um, <laughs> yeah, dude, Jesus, he gets, yeah. uh, like what, two or three arrows put in him. And then he gets like just straight up ran through with the, with Nicholas's yeah. sword. It's like he gets slaughtered. <sighs> but, um, you know, he was the muscle, you know, you know, like of this sort of like Scooby Doo esque ragtag group of teens like he was and he wasn't even a teenager but he was sort of the muscle right like he was Mm -hmm. the the guy who could help you know move objects or take out big guards but um again regrettable like i would have loved to have seen him uh you know power through or, or at least survive to see kind of how things turned out but you know for as quick as he came it was as quick as he went yeah yeah. Um, all right. So the next one we've got is uh, Nicholas, um, Lord Nicholas. Uh, 
Uh, he is the right hand man of the Grand Inquisitor, uh, Vitalis Bonavent or Bonavent, I think is how you're supposed to say it. Um, yeah, this guy's a fucking asshole. He was the muscle for the bad guy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. A, he also, yeah, like, he doesn't have much of a character to him. Uh, but he is, I mean, he's, he's faceless. <laughs> like yeah. He literally, he literally faceless. is faceless. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I, I do think that, um, one thing I want to point out about him in particular is that I do think that, uh, in terms of like, at the very least, like the character design, he is very imposing from the very second you see him throughout the entire yeah. rest of the game. Um, you can yeah. tell he's decorated, right? Like mm-hmm. he, his armor like glistens. He's you know this big powerful force, and like if you know a little a little about history, or at least like this portion of history, it took like to get plates of armor like that and to have like a suit of armor. Number one, it was really heavy to carry that stuff around, like to be adorned like that, and number two, it cost a ton of money. Mm-hmm. to be to like to dress as a knight like that and you you sort of see it a little bit in in the game like you know some of the poorer soldiers were just you know in in leather or you know they're in cloth but this guy is decorated so you know he's a force to be reckoned with you know that this guy is he he means business mm-hmm. but um yeah he he was designed really cool and and for being somebody who was you know a a faceless antagonist. He was imposing and he was pretty, um, he was downright scary. You know, like you saw him and you're like, Oh shit, got to run. <laughs> like, yeah, he's, uh, definitely one of the, uh, outside of the rats, probably the scariest, uh, thing that I think you've come up against in the entire yeah, you game. Encounter. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, don't have much more to say, so let's move on to, uh, we have Lucas. So Can we, uh, can we pause for one second so I can use the restroom? No. How fucking Fuck. dare you? Yeah, yeah. All right, hold on. Holy hell, I was about to deroon my pants. 
Oh my. That is <laughs> not uh, something I was expecting to hear you say. Yep. Okay. So we're up to Vitalis. Yes, we are up to. Uh, wait, we're up to Lucas? Oh, should we do. Do we even need to do Lucas? I mean. Uh, uh, he's we, we don't have <laughs> to. No, we should. Um, okay. Here's what I have to say about Lucas. Okay. Um, uh, dead behind the eyes, science <laughs> kid who um, is along for the ride, uh, is basically like the, oh, you found the materials. I'll magic this up for in, in an instant and explain some of this stuff to you. But he, he just, I'm being really harsh, but um, I just, Lucas was... <laughs> the least interesting character to me. He just felt so flat, but, uh, you know, he was vital to the team. He was vital to the, to the story, I guess, but he just felt so like, Oh, I get like, like, what do we do with all this material? Uh, Oh, just give it to Lucas. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't, I don't necessarily not agree with you. I do think that he has a little bit more uh, going on. I, I think that he helps to push Amicia to kind of like keep going. Um, yeah. I, I think I, and maybe, maybe a second playthrough would, would help help me see this, but he, yeah, I agree. I just, I did, I just didn't see it the first time around. I guess. Yeah. Well, I, I think that probably part of the thing is, is that what you are saying is like he, he doesn't have nearly the same sort of like, I think storytelling, um, like, thematic writing around him as the other kids do, especially Melly and um, Arthur. Arthur, golly. Um, I, you know, the other thing too with Lucas is. I just don't really understand his motivation, you know, like, is it just purely for like knowledge sake or does he really care enough about like Hugo and Amicia's struggle that he wants to help? There's sort of like a, a a fine line there where I'm just like, is he, is he just like that nerd that just wants to learn more and, you know, these people are instruments to him or is it like, Oh, like, you, you know, Amicia, like you really do, like you really should save Hugo, but like, wow, this stuff's fascinating, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. Uh, I I guess I I don't really have much more to say about him other than that. Um, yeah, let's move I, on. I think we can move to Vitalis, Vitalis. event. Um. Yeah. So Vitalis. Bonavon is the uh, is the I guess main antagonist of the game. He's the leader of the Inquisition, um, and he is the uh, uh, the head of the church, right? Or he's he's, he's, he's underneath the pope. the pope, right? Yeah, I don't think he's the pope. Like he, his title I think is Grand Inquisitor, but mm-hmm. he strikes me as like a. Like he's got the adornment that like a bishop would wear, right? Yeah. Like he has yeah. the pontificate and, and all that stuff. He he almost strikes me more as like 
in in this instance of history, he's probably up as high as like a cardinal, mm-hmm. you know, like right that 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 um, hierarchy, like right before the pope. But it almost sounds like he's carrying out, like he's using he's using the Inquisition as a guise to further his own research, but but somebody is above him, right? It seems yeah. like somebody who who you know, for all intents and purposes, like the, the church thinks they're doing the right thing at this point in history, but like he is using the church's will to further his own. But, uh, I don't like, he, he doesn't strike me as the Pope. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think you're right. I don't think he is the Pope, but, um, yeah, I, I kind of almost feel like this character is Pope Clement the sixth. But oh, just for just okay. for yeah, I not something I would have known. <laughs> um, no, I I was gonna just say I I kind of feel almost like this character is is almost one note. Like he's very much a person who's like he only cares about himself. He's very very ambitious and and manipulative and like really kind of shit like he's almost like the personification of evil right because he doesn't say pure evil yeah yeah because he he doesn't show any remorse when he's like torturing hugo to learn about hugo's powers or anything like that he does not care about the the kids in the group with amicia uh like even to an extent I don't think he really cares when Nicholas dies and he and Nicholas have like a, a sort of like relationship with one another. Um, yeah. Like Nicholas has sworn duty to him. You yeah. Know? And, and it's just, uh, I, I f- almost feel like he's almost like a, like a, you, you know who he kind of reminds me of in, in, in a weird way. He kind of reminds me of Emperor Palpatine from the Star Wars movies. He, even to like a looks. Like yeah. He's got yeah. That, like, wrinkled pussy skin you know like he's he's a little palpatine-esque yeah uh what are your thoughts on on vitalis um i think my first thought is by far the worst boss battle of of the (laughs) game um he he's just it's he's physically repulsive He's like just a walking like sack of pure evil, right? Like he, like mm-hmm. you said, you, you hit it. I think you hit it square in the head with the fact that like he is very self-serving. He is only doing this to further his own agenda and own will. Um, and it doesn't even like. <laughs> it's funny. There's the one part where um, uh, Hugo and. Uh, Hugo and his mother are in the center of this like arena and he's sending soldiers after them and he's just sending guy after guy after guy. And Hugo is just sending rats to devour these people left and right. And like, he's just, he is very much using humans as like instruments, right? Like as pawns, like he just does not care. And he has this elaborate laboratory set up where he's running experiments and doing all this stuff. And, and people are clearly afraid of him. You know, people are clearly fearful of this guy because 
he commands a lot of power in the church, which at this time is a force to be reckoned with. So, um, he he really is like in the sense pure evil. He's he's a he's a bastard. Like there's a war going on. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a there's a full on war going on, and this is the stuff that he's doing like in the shadows, right? It's sort of that like Indiana Jones like. You know, hey, World War Two is going on. The Nazis are are running around, but like, you know, they may open the Ark of the Covenant too. <laughs> you know, like this guy's sort of got this Indiana Jones villainness to him, uh, where he's trying to exploit this ancient evil, and uh, he doesn't care who is in the way. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I I think I think you really nailed it there um let's go ahead and talk about the probably second most important character of the game that's hugo darun please it's hugo (laughs) um how do you feel about hugo poor little hugo he's five he's a five-year-old he has no idea what's going on and he thinks he's like damaged goods already yeah. Um I mean the 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 name of the game the the subtitle of the game is Innocence. He is the innocent part of this game. Yeah. The kid wants to pick flowers, he wants to play, he's doing whatever he can to make his sister feel good, you know, he's 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 an innocent little kid. And I think um I think he's sort of punched for that throughout the game. Like his innocence almost gets him into trouble mm-hmm. and then eventually almost, you know, it eventually saves him. Right. Cause he, he becomes sort of the savior figure mm-hmm. here, but uh, he, he's a, he's a pretty accurate five-year-old. I mean, I don't, I've never met anybody from 1348. So I don't know, <laughs> but you know, as far as like a five-year-old goes, he's he's pretty clever, and he's inquisitive for his age. But you know, he's just—he's a little kid. He's a little kid. You yeah. Can't, you can't help but feel for him. Yeah, I I hundred percent agree. And and like, it's it's one of those things that I like. I really feel like they nailed what makes five-year-olds or, or, or really children like under the age of like 10 what makes them so I guess like special <laughs> and, and it's really it comes down to like they're sort of like na- naivete like they're very I mean kids take everything at kind of like face value at that age and yeah. I, and and Hugo's very much like that but like there are little things that like are like you see how big his heart is like there's um you know there's the the him constantly kind of like apologizing to Amicia um or like the like whenever it whenever they run across the field with like all the the dead pigs and stuff like that like he has like a sympathy for like the animals and I like He's uh, he really is the innocence part of this game. Uh, I, I, Amicia too, like don't get me wrong, but like he is the personification of what 
innocence is. I would even I would add into like you know there there's a there's a collection there's a collecting aspect to the game, right? Mm-hmm. You're finding flowers. Yeah. Whenever he finds a new flower, he doesn't keep it. He puts it in Amicia's hair. Yeah. You know, to like make her, you know, make her feel pretty or whatever it is. Like he's not even keeping it. He's giving it away, you know? Like he mm-hmm. finds this like oh and he, you know, he, again, he's sort of like has the knowledge of a florist at the five-year-old, but like he, <laughs> he's, he doesn't want to hold on to this and like, you know, press the petals on a book or something. He wants to give it to Amicia, which I think is really, you know, it's, it's, it's noble for somebody to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I really love the relationship that he builds with uh, Amicia as well. Um, and I think that that really kind of, I, I, I mean, I guess we'll go ahead and we'll bring her into it. We'll talk about Amicia, but like, I, I love what, not only how he changes throughout the game, but how he makes Amicia change. Yeah. Um, he, he's the instrument that makes her go from being like a selfish teenager to an adult. Mm-hmm, exactly. Yeah, um, but yeah, let's let's go ahead and talk about Amicia Derune, who is the main character and is probably my favorite character of the game. Um, what are your thoughts on Amicia? I think she sucks. She's just so <laughs> one note. Uh, no, um, she uh, from the beginning of the game, you 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 see this very polished noble girl. And she has her sort of idiosyncrasies, right? Like you can or you can immediately see that like she's way more of a daddy's girl than than she's got a relationship with her mother. But it doesn't mm-hmm. stop her from having a good time or learning or whatever. Um, but when when the invasion comes, when the English ransack her castle, she is extremely scared everything gets ripped away from like her world is rocked and instead of sort of becoming this like hero she she understands that she has to run you know she's she's frightened and she's confused because they're after her brother like they're after a five-year-old like what like what does this kid have to do with anything um and that i think that frightens her and it scares her and and she all she wants to do is sort of return back to normal and, you know, obviously get her parents back, but that's, that's never going to happen. She's coming to grips with that, but she, she really turns like heel quick and sees her brother as, as this responsibility that she does not want. Mm -hmm. And it, it sort of makes her like, not that you, 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 you don't really have much to like, not like about her, but you're, you're sort of like, you get the sense of like, come on, like you need to do better. Like this is your family. You need to do better. And, and throughout the game, she has the, the story puts her in these situations where she slowly becomes, or she slowly realizes that like, it's not about her, you know, like it's about keeping her brother safe. And that's what her parents were doing. Mm -hmm. And she, she grows up real quick and in the face of, like I said it before, but like she runs into the face of danger when her brother is kidnapped 
she's willing to take on, you know, one of the highest orders of the church to end this thing and, you know, go into occupied territory, you know, mm-hmm. like, like sneak into occupied territory to take this guy out. You know, she really does become sort of like a badass by the end of the, by the end of the game, but n- not like, not in like the almost like action hero sense, but like, but she carries this, she carries this responsibility around with her, not, not out of like an order, but almost out of like just pure love for her family and like reverence for her family and her brother. And, and I think she's, she's incredibly like, that's where her strength comes from. You, you see it throughout the game. Like, yes, she has knowledge of how to use a sling. She's very, you know, capable in that regard. But by the end of the game, you are eliminating guys left and right as they pour into, you know, the city center while, you know, Roderick is, uh, you know, how they're like trying to open the door. You're in this sort of um, like shooting gallery sense, but she's taking these guys out left and right. And she, you can see that she's this strong character. She's not backing down from a fight anymore. She's not running. And I thought that was really, really powerful. Like that moment in particular was really powerful. Um, Mm -hmm. But she, she is like the sense and and it it mirrors the idea or the, um, the, the use of light, right? Like she is a small light in this very dark, um, in this very dark setting, but she can still be powerful, right? Even, even if it's very small, you can still find your way through. You can still get through. And I think that was really like the use of light is a good allegory for what she ends up becoming. Cause she ends up, she really ends up becoming like your torch, you know, like Hugo's torch. Um, yeah, I, I got nothing but great things to say about her. I think she's a really, really strong character. I think the voice acting was really good too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that's the one thing I was going to point out. Like she, you I, know, like she sounds, you know, she sounded like a French girl, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> You know, like she, the the voice actors were really good, and like I always, I mean, I've been joking throughout the whole thing, but like, you know, even to the point of the way she calls her brother, like Hugo, come here, Hugo, like she's just really like they nailed it. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, I mean, I honestly don't even really have much more to add. I think that you nailed everything that um, that I was going to talk about. I I love how she does change from this. Uh, very much like you said, like uh, I, I don't want to say like self-centered, but almost like this sort of like self-centered, like I, I want what I want sort of thing to teenager, some, you know? Yeah. Like. Yeah. And she's forced to change into this, this, you know, strong young woman who uh, has to care about more than just herself. Um Yeah. And uh, it's almost in a way like she be, she like gets knighted, yeah. You know, like yeah, this almost. is like her knighting process, like to become mm-hmm. like the heir to the Darun family. You know, like that's kind of the I think is really cool. Yeah, hundred percent agree. Um, and uh, the one thing I I wanted to touch on for sure was I I do think that the the her voice acting in particular I think is very very strong. Um, but uh, but yeah. Um, what do you say we get on to our final thoughts and our scoring? Why don't we do, uh, out of 
out of uh, rats, I suppose. <laughs> I was gonna, yeah, I was gonna I, say that too. Yeah. How many so, plague rats would you give us? Um. So yeah, I'll. I. I mean, I'll. I'll go ahead and I'll start. Um. I would probably end up giving this eight out of ten. Uh, plague rats. <laughs> uh, I. I really oh, love I feel this like game. You have to go more. You think so? Like, there's thousand. No. Like. Oh, okay. It has to be like. 800 plague rats out of a thousand okay okay well yeah that that's i'm just boiling it down you know math i'm i'm getting it to its simplest right that's fractions (laughs) for you uh but uh yeah i i really do think that this game was a very uh pleasant surprise when it came out in 2019 um because i think (sighs) Somewhere along the line, there were a bunch of games that were in the same sort of space where they weren't gigantic budget AAA games and they weren't exactly indie games either. Uh, and there was a time during the Xbox 360 area where you would you would get games like this pretty much all the time. But... A Plague Tale is one of those ones that stands out above the rest. Like, f- the story has, I think, some flaws to it for sure. And I think that some of the gameplay has its flaws. But the way that the game is represented I th- is so unbelievably strong that, like, it's hard for me to be like, this isn't, like one of the best double a or whatever you want to call them games that I've ever played. Uh, it, it works on almost every level for me from the very strong characters to the, the stealth action gameplay, not feeling like it's a slog to get through to, I, to the very strong thematic elements with the writing. I mean, I think that like, the game has a lot to offer and um, it's only, it's only knock. I think is that I do think that some of the, uh, I think the bosses are a little bit unwarranted. I, I do tend to think that the story has some, some beats that I don't particularly care for, but it is such a strong, strong game that those really don't take a whole lot off for me. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a little bit of like the sum of the parts is more than the whole. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. And, and I, I echo a lot of those sentiments too, but I think my land more like the six and a half, seven plague rats out of oh. 10 plague rats. Um, I think some of the parts where it is a game are pretty, they're good. They're very good. I, I won't. I won't dismiss that. But like, the the boss battles, I think, were just so out of place. You know, few and far between, but out of place. Um, I think a little bit more creativity could have could have been done in those areas. And even as I think about like the last encounter with um, Vitalis, like I would have loved to have seen you know the two of them sneaking up on the rafters of the church, and like, you know your whole mission is to guide the rats in like a circle and then close in on him at the end. Like that's the way I would have wanted to see it get finished, you know, like something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, Really showcasing the power instead of, 
doing this like weird tango with this guy you know like this like dance that you'd have to like move from one place to another and then you know send rats at him and then throw a rot you know it's just it seemed it didn't it didn't showcase the best of what that game had to offer um i i think where where that some of the linearity problems the crafting that that was totally unnecessary i think that's where it kind of takes some some points away for me Mm-hmm. But really, a, a lot of the praise or a lot of the reason why this thing, you know, is on the latter half of five for me is because the story is is so unique. It is very cool. The themes are absolutely like spot on. And I think I, I think I resonate with those the most. Um, and I do. I, I also think like visually, it's a stunning game. It's it's a game that takes place in an era that no one has really ever touched, you know, outside mm. of like Assassin's Creed or something like that. And, and they bungle this stuff a lot too. Um, I mean, you know, <laughs> the last Assassin's game, uh, Creed game that came out in France, they didn't even have French accents. Like that's how, <laughs> that's how bad that was. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a period of time. Like, you know, that I think a lot of people probably wouldn't take on because they, they don't know how to, appropriately tell a story or even use the mechanics of of a video game in this in this era right like hey occupation in france yeah that probably would translate well to a stealth game and it and it did um as opposed to like you know something where it's like okay it's the hundred years war so this should be like chivalry right like you know there's there's sort of a, a a boldness to how this game uh came about and i think it's i think it's really good for that that regard, but I, I lean more towards the, the seven ranking than anything because I think this thing does lose points for me in some of like the the funneling that happens. And I think the boss the boss encounters are just weak, but uh, I am excited to see where they go with this franchise next because they did a very good job of wrapping this thing up at the end. You know, like you sort of not not that you ride into the sunset, but you you do get to see these two, you know, Amicia and Hugo, um, like, sh- like pleasantly stroll through uh, what looks like a fair, right? Like it looks like um, almost like a farmer's market kind of thing going on. And, you know, you get back to sort of that level of innocence. So, you know, where do you go from here? I'm, I'm curious to see how they tell this story uh, going forward, especially given like the power sets that you have, mm-hmm. you know, it could, it could change a lot of what the, the upcoming title really is. Yeah. You know, maybe I, she I ends agree. up picking up the sniper rifle and, the, <laughs> the machine gun. uh, yeah, maybe, maybe. But overall, um, very positive on a plague tale innocence. Yes. Yes. Overall, very positive. Um, all right. Well, with that all said, uh, I want to I want to give a big shout out to the um, the uh, special guest that we have here with us today. Um, that being one Mister Ruiz, Mister Skyrise Excellence himself. That's me. Um, yeah, thanks for for being on. Uh, I'm sorry that uh, the bees wasn't here um this was actually his idea to do this game so 
and I know, I know you guys are best friends, so. Yeah, I would have loved to have heard heard his take on it. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Uh, is there anything that you want to uh, that you want to pimp? Eh, no, not in particular. I think just um, very happy to be talking about this game. I think this is a really <laughs> it's a really good game. It's it was on PSN. The PS5 upgrade was on PSN. If you had a chance to get it there, absolutely pick it up. I think if you're curious about these types of narrative-driven games, um, yeah, it's not long. It's not. It's not too long. So yeah, it's like ten hours long at most. Yeah, I think it's it's something you probably could crush it in a weekend or like you know over the course of a week. But uh, yeah, give this one a try. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right. Well, uh, as, uh, as everyone is aware, you can find us on social media for all things culture, Bop, culture, Bop selects and the culture, Bop family of content. Uh, this place, this culture, Bop thing is available on Twitter at culture underscore Bop on Instagram at culture underscore Bop and on YouTube at culture Bop. Um, I am available on the Twitter at, the bebopman182 on Instagram at bebopman182 and on Twitch at the underscore bebopman. Um, Mr. BZ, who is not here, is available on Instagram at gilbzskit. That is G-I-L-B-E-E-Z-Y-S-K-I-T. And finally, if you're looking to support the podcast or any of the endeavors that we're undertaking as Culture Bop, then go to patreon.com slash culturebop. Toss us a pledge. Uh, we've got some very cool perks over there. Uh, and we've actually already hit our first milestone. So once we start hitting more, uh, more content's going to be on the way. Uh, I actually am using the, uh, money to upgrade my audio system. Run away to To, the Seychelles. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, so hopefully the, uh, the package will arrive here shortly. Um, and then, the uh the podcasts will be better uh but it's almost like it's a christmas miracle almost almost like that um but yeah so that's what we will be doing with your money uh should you decide to support us if you're not interested in giving us any money that is completely acceptable and totally okay by us uh just do us a favor and share us with your friends uh give us a rating on your uh, podcast app of choice, you know, all of that noise, uh, the the typical social media stuff. Um, but I do want to take this time to do a special little shout out to our patrons before we go. Uh, they make this little thing uh, run. So we'll start with the one and only Mr. Justin Ruiz. Thank you, sir. Thank you for you're being welcome. a, a nice This is the patron. first time you're going to be able to, to say thank you, and then someone says, hey, you got it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and then not only is Justin a patron, uh, he's become a very close friend. So, uh, again, thank you for all you do for us. I um, try. You, you do try. You do try. Uh, but the other patrons that we need to shout out are Shereen Khan, Tani Solman, Jeffrey Scissortoe, Blake Graham, Lisa Long, Chris Tavares, and Sean O'Keefe Jr. Uh, oh, wait. On behalf of all of them. I forgot. There's one more. Oh, oh no. 
No, what's what's deserve. what's her last name? I, I don't know. Woodham. Wood Woodham. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Bryn Woodham. Uh, thank you for being a new patron. Woodham. Um, Damn near killed him. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's it. That is the end of our show. We will be, oh, actually, that's not entirely true because, uh, I keep forgetting to do this and Gilbizi has to remind me every week. Um, so next week, uh, we will be joined by another special guest. This one, Mr. Shay Layton from Sword Chomp will be joining us and we will be talking about the absolute masterpiece pink floyd's album the dark side of the moon i've heard of that guy yeah he's a he's a good friend he's a great podcast uh host himself uh go check out the sword chomp stuff um they're great i've heard of that place yeah yeah it's, it's good stuff <laughs> uh but yeah and until next time we will see you uh, later. That's not how I usually end the show. No, uh, now you gotta end it and you gotta say, Hugo, we are now ready to leave. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Alright, until next time. Goodbye.